Welcome to Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Discovery is all things cowboy essence, people at their best, accomplishing extraordinary achievements. Cowboy essence is defined by the character qualities we admire in others. Inspired by the cowboy culture, the code that guides Babbitt Ranches. I'm Billy Cardasco. Today on Discovery, we're talking about relationships. Without a doubt, significant relationships shape us and define us. And they are so important in our family businesses. The business of relationships is complicated. So here on Discovery with Babbitt Ranches, we are delving into a three-part series. Us human beings and our relationships are like fish and water. We don't realize we're swimming in that water of relationships. Every day we swim in our web of interpersonal relationships, and we take them so for granted, and yet relationships are fundamental to who we are as human beings. That's family business and relationship management expert, Dr. Ed Hoover. Ed is a psychologist who has studied family business for more than 30 years. He is the author of Getting Along in Family Business and Getting Along, Making Significant Relationships Work. In a moment, we'll hear more from Ed. But first, Discovery with Babbitt Ranches is supported by Babbitt's Backcountry Outfitters. Wherever adventure takes you, the helpful and knowledgeable folks over there on the corner of Aspen Avenue and San Francisco Street in downtown Flagstaff will help you find the gear you need to make your adventure more memorable. From properly fitted boots, packs, to technical outerwear, Keith Harris and everybody else at Babbitt's Backcountry Outfitters are ready to answer your questions and help you enjoy Northern Arizona as much as they do. Ed? Thank you for joining us on Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Billy, it's um, a real thrill to be here and, and to have this opportunity to share with you again and something that's very close to your heart, and that's uh, the whole issue of interpersonal relationships. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about our time together today, and I was thinking about how, what kind of analogy could I draw that might help people understand where we're coming from in terms of relationships. And I remembered years ago, somebody saying to me, you know, a fish doesn't realize that it's swimming in water. And it just takes it for granted. Every day it swims in water and does its thing and makes its way around and so forth and so on. And a fish doesn't realize it's swimming in water until, guess what? It's not in water anymore. Or that water becomes toxic and polluted. And that affects the fish's health and the fish becomes sick. Uh, because of swimming in the water that's toxic and polluted. Well, the same kind of thing applies to relationships. Us human beings and our relationships are like fish and water. We don't realize we're swimming in that water of relationships. Every day we swim in our web of interpersonal relationships, and we take them so for granted, and yet relationships are fundamental uh, to who we are as human beings how we interact with other people throughout our life. And I happen to believe even before we're born, uh, we begin to form these kinds of relationships because that's kind of the way God has designed us as people. So I'm really thrilled to talk about that. And I I went back and did a little uh, investigation about some uh, actual scientific studies that have been done about the importance of interpersonal relationships. And by the way, I want to make a distinction. I sometimes think people throw all relationships into the same basket, but what we're going to be talking about in this podcast is what I refer to as significant interpersonal relationships. 
And I differentiate those from transactional relationships. The latter, transactional relationships, the kind of relationship you have with the clerk at the grocery store or teller at the bank, if you can find a teller anymore, or the mechanic that's working on your car. They have a job to do. You have a relationship with them. There are certain minimal expectations. But once the, once that transaction is taken care of, then you move on. But in contrast to that, significant interpersonal relationships are ones in which that relationship has a profound effect on our emotional, our psychological, our social, our financial well-being. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this podcast and then actually in the, in the next two as well. They're the water that we swim in, just like the fish swimming in its water. And so going back a little bit and looking at some of the uh, knowledge that we've gained over the years from research, I thought maybe a couple of things might be of interest, Billy. Back in 2013, Psychology Today published an article that was written by two researchers who found that marital conflict led to reports of poorer health in people. People, although interestingly enough, more often women than men, had, would you believe it or not, higher risks of disability, reports of pain, and even higher likelihood of periodontal disease if they were involved in marital conflict or a problem uh, or troubled relationship. Little before that, in 2010, two uh, researchers from Harvard studied uh, over 300,000 people. And in that study, they found that the lack of a strong relationship increased the risk of premature death. Here again, believe this or not, increased the risk of premature death from all causes by 50%. And they said that the effect of, of these uh, troubled uh, relationships had the same effect uh, on mortality roughly compared to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Can you believe that? And greater than obesity and physical inactivity. Now, the one piece of information that I particularly find interesting is comes from the Department of, uh, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And it talks about the interactions between infants and their caregivers and how this is the basis of learning. This is a quote from that, from the Department of Health and Human Services. From the earliest moments when infants experience the warmth and the closeness of being held while being fed, the interplay of relationships and development begins. Over time and with repetition, the relationship evolves through ongoing interactions between the child and the caregiver. The relationships formed with significant primary caregivers become the core, I'll repeat that, the core context for the child's development, the quote-unquote nurture part of the nature-nurture balance that ultimately defines who the child is to become. And so it is known that human connections shape the neural connections in our brain from which the mind emerges. That's pretty powerful stuff in terms of how important relationships are. I mean, they're like the water that we swim in every day, and we take them for granted. And so what we're going to be talking about in this podcast and the next two is let's bring this water to our realization so that we can understand what we need to do and what we can do to prove the relationships that we have, the significant relationships with other people in our lives. Now, an interesting thing here, because you're the head of a big family business, and why are we talking about relationship that, in a podcast from a family business? Well, there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, it's been said that there are two kinds of family businesses, the family-first family business and the business-first family business. Uh, the family-first family business, you know that you have that on your hands when people refer to each other in the business context by their family names. 
employees will refer to each other as mom and dad or, you know, my son did this or whatever. And you don't find that in a non-family business. That would be an indicator of a family-first family business. A business-first family business is, guess what? Guess what that family talks about at Thanksgiving when they get together for a family meal? They talk about the business, right, Billy? Yep, about business. Yeah, they talk about business. Drives the in-laws nuts. Can't we ever just be a family? But I think there's an even more important truth here. It goes beyond family first or business first. It is the fact that every family business, at its very core, needs to be what I call a relationship first family business. Because it's the nature and the quality of the family relationships that determine, from my point of view, more than anything else, the long-term success of the business. And this has been borne out over many, many, many years. Key reason for this that is important to understand, and that is that when you have a family business, people in that business that are related by family ties, they were family members before they were business partners or before they were working together in the business. Family relationships in a family business are always primary to the business relationships. In times of stress and conflict, particularly, family businesses will always go back to the primary family relationships. So that's why it's so important in a family business context to understand what it is that makes relationships work, significant interpersonal relationships, what makes them work and, and how can we make them better. Let's talk a little more about how relationships are the water the fish swims in or to some degree the air that we breathe. You know, I mentioned the difference between significant and transactional relationships. I just want to mention something that I don't think most people realize. And that is, we often think of our self-esteem, that is, how we value ourselves and how we view ourselves. Self-esteem is something that pretty much forms early in our lives, stays pretty much the same, the rest of it. Uh, maybe it's something we're born with. And people will say things like, eh, oh, yeah, well, I'm sorry, he has low self-esteem or she has good self-esteem, as if it's like whether they have wavy hair or blue eyes or whatever. And, and that's partly true. There is a kind of a, let's call it a baseline of self-esteem that's internal and that uh, forms out of very early relationships with significant people. But there's an even more important, uh, from my point of view, uh, kind of self-esteem. I call it relational self-esteem. And it's related to how we experience our significant relationships with others. And by doing a little bit of reflection, you can see it clearly. We all, we all have relationships, uh, some relationships in, in which we feel enhanced about ourselves, in which we feel good about ourselves, and we feel capable and valuable and, and successful. And then we also have relationships with significant people in our lives where we feel the opposite. We always leave these interactions with these folks with a miserable kind of diminished sense of our in our value and worth. Now, this doesn't happen immediately. This happens over time. It's not one event, but it happens as we interact with these important people in our lives over time as, as we have repeated experiences with them. And the relational self-esteem is formed out of the quality of the relationships. Now, I'm going to say some more about this in a, a future podcast and how it relates to communication. But basically, we have relationships that I call esteem-enhancing, and we have relationships that I call esteem-diminishing. And it has to do with the quality of the relationship, primarily the communication patterns within the relationship. So I'm not going to talk about that now. I will later. Why is this so important to us? Well, we have to recognize that in relational self-esteem, we migrate toward those relationships that are esteem-enhancing. 
the ones where we feel good about ourselves. Just think about it for a minute. Think about the relationships you have with people in your life, the people that you enjoy being with, the people that make you have this good feeling about yourself that lift you up and you leave feeling, well, you know, that was, that was a great experience with that individual. Those are the relationships we move ourselves toward. And we distance ourselves from relationships that are esteemed diminishing. Those relationships make us feel worse about ourselves. Again, it doesn't happen immediately. It happens over time. But these hap- this happens in relationships that you know, affect our emotional, our psychological, social, and financial well-being. And so that's just an example, one example of many about how relationships affect how we feel about ourselves that shape us, define us, and ultimately uh, help us to be successful or not in life. Now, let's go just a little bit deeper, inspect some of the inner workings of significant relationships. I want to start with talking about how at the foundation of every relationship that we have in life, there is a commitment. Now, that may seem obvious. It may seem, yeah, okay, right, well, there's a commitment. Well, I want to talk about how important that commitment is. And I even like the term covenant even better than commitment because covenant conveys kind of the emotional overtones of that. Uh, a covenant is basically a relation, is an agreement between us about how we are going to behave toward one another in ways that are consistent with our mutual expectations. In other words, covenant between us helps us know what we can count on each other for, right? Helps us know what we can look for in that relationship. Now, when it comes to our relationships, I'm going to say something that probably sounds a little crass and a little cold. This is where it starts. When it comes to relationships, we all listen to the same radio station, Billy. W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? This is the key ingredient, even in our most intimate and emotionally intense relationships with our significant others. In other words, the question, what's in it for me, boils down to this. What am I going to need or what do I need to invest in this relationship in exchange for what I will get out of the relationship? Now, again, that sounds pretty uh, cut and dried. Okay, Ed, what, what happens to things, emotions like love and empathy and passion and so forth and so on? Well, those are very, very important. But the truth of the matter is that those emotions are the outcome of this question, what's in it for me, being answered in the affirmative. It's not what drives it. When that question is answered in the affirmative, I get so much more out of this relationship than I put in it, or at least I get as much out of this relationship as I put in it. Then we have emotions about that, like appreciation, affection, empathy, passion, so forth and so on. But on the other hand, what about the other side, the, the emotions of anger and resentment and frustration? Well, those are the outcome uh, when that question is answered in the negative. In other words, if I'm putting more into a relationship than I believe that I'm getting out of it, I'm going to feel anger and resentment and frustration. And so at the very basis of our commitments with one another, and we're going to talk some more about this because this is really, really important to understand, for everybody to understand. So at the basis of our covenants with each other is that question, what's in it for me? If we think of commitment as the foundation, like, let's say, like the concrete foundation of a building, then we have to figure out what are the ingredients that go into making that foundation solid and strong. Those ingredients 
uh, must be the best ones in the right proportions. And I like to use the analogy of when we build a foundation for a house, we pour a concrete foundation for a house or a building. That foundation is made up of, that concrete is made up of cement and it's made up of water and it's made up of sand and aggregate and other kinds of things. And for that foundation to be strong, those need to be the absolute best ingredients that, that we can find. And they need to be mixed together in the right proportions, right? So if you have a faulty ingredients, you're not going to have a strong foundation. Now let me give you, a, let me give you an example about that I just learned not too long ago. Because I spent part of my year in Florida. And in Florida, we have a, there's a big problem in the coastal areas with uh, concrete deterioration where the concrete begins to corrode, begins to crumble, and then the, the steel reinforcement gets corroded and so forth and so on. Well, I learned several years ago now that some of the buildings that were built along the coast in southeast Florida, the contractor, because it was less expensive and easier to get, they would get sand from the beach, and that's what they used as part of the aggregate that they mixed into the cement to make the foundation of the houses. Well, the foundation started crumbling. Why? Because that sand had salt in it, okay? And we know what happens when you mix water and salt and you put it around steel, you're going to get corrosion. So here's a perfect analogy of what happens if you take faulty ingredients put into a concrete mixture to make a foundation. It's going to crumble at some point in time. So when we talk about commitment, what are the ingredients that go into that? Well, very simply, it's this, expectations. What's in it for me? So we go back to that again. What are the base, what's the basis of the covenant that we have with each other? Expectations are like the cement and the sand and the water and the aggregate that goes into making the foundation for a building. If commitment is the foundation, we have to have clear, consistent, mutually agreed upon expectations in order to have a strong commitment, a strong foundation. If expectations in a relationship are not clearly worked out from the outset, in other words, sometimes we get into a relationship. This happens all the time when people will hire an employee and they don't, they don't really sit down with that employee and make very, very clear the expectations as to what it's going to be like to work for this company, how are we going to interact with each other, what are you going to do for me, what am I going to do for you, and so forth. There are things that are left unsaid, unfortunately. So if uh, relationships are built on expectations that aren't clear from the outset, or if they get changed and altered over time, the expectations are different, that directly affects the commitment, just like that salty sand eroded away the foundation of those buildings in Florida. The foundation of the relationship begins to, uh, to disintegrate. But one of the direct effects of what happens when expectations get altered is that it erodes our commitment. We're going to talk about this more in depth in the next two podcasts because it's, it's so important. But conflict in a relationship is very often more a result of conflicting or confusing expectations than it is of two uh, people with big egos getting into it with each other. It's because we don't have clear expectations anymore. It's as simple as this. Conflicts can be minimized in a relationship when expectations are kept strong and viable and clear, and conflict is almost inevitable when they are not. And as I say, we're going to talk more about that as we talk about some of the other technologies of relationship management. But one interesting offshoot of this, so many, so many conflicts between people 
start out as a result of what I call a right versus right decision that needs to be made. Two people have equally valid but different opinions on a topic of importance to them. Let me give an example. Let's say uh, I think that making a decision quickly is the best way to avoid unnecessary delays and costs, okay? So I'm going to say, well, all right, we got enough information. Let's just go ahead and make this decision and get on with it. But you think that it's best to keep our options open as long as possible so that we don't miss any important considerations or reach the wrong conclusion before all the facts are in. Okay, which of us is right? Well, we're both right. Or let's take the example in a marriage situation where maybe when we got married, we decided with the expectation was we're going to live close to family because we, we want to have family relationships strong and you know we want our children to know their extended family and so forth and so on. That's the right decision. But let's say I'm in that marriage and I, I get a job offer that's going to double or triple my income and give me a better career path going forward in the future. But it means we've got to move from the family. So we sit down and talk about it. Now, is that the right decision to make? Well, anybody looking at it objectively would say, you'd be foolish not to take that job opportunity because you're going to be you know, really shortchanging yourself. So here we got an example of, I want to stay close to the family, but the other person wants to move for a career opportunity. Two right positions, viable right positions, but they're different, but they're different. Now, I call this a right versus right difference of opinion. We both have valid points. Most everybody would agree with that, but they're different. Now, what happens is, as time goes on, we both become more entrenched in our own positions. We both believe, begin to believe, well, I'm a little more right than you are, okay? And then I start gathering facts that proves that I'm more right than you are, okay? So I'm going to start gathering facts from my friends who say, oh, you'd be foolish not to live next to your family. Craziest thing in the world. And my partner's going to be getting comments from their friends saying, oh, hey, wait a minute, you're going to really shoot yourself in the foot and maybe in the head by not taking this career opportunity because they only come along every so often. So as we gather this evidence, we begin to view the other person's position not just as different, but just as plain wrong. Okay, I'm right, you're wrong. And way back when we got started, I recognized you're right in your position, I'm right in my position. Winning becomes the end game, and conflict is the battleground upon which it's fought. Now, interestingly enough, we see this, and I'm not going to get into politics here, but we see this going on regardless of what side of the aisle you're on. We see it all the time, where one party has a position on something, and you could objectively say, yeah, that's the right position. The other party has a different position, and you could say, yeah, that's the right position. They're right versus right positions, or what I call the right versus right dilemma, but over time they increasingly gather evidence and they become polarized and their whole objective becomes one of proving the other side wrong and proving that I'm right, which is an example of what happens when, when conflict develops because the expectations are not clear. Oh. The next time we talk, we're going to be talking about the building blocks of a healthy relationship and how important they are to creating sustainable commitment. Let me just add one final comment here. You know, sometimes when I've found over the years that when people talk about relationships, their eyes kind of glaze over, and they think about it as some kind of uh, 
social scientist or you have to be a psychologist or this is the realm of touchy-feely, loosey-goosey stuff. I don't see it that way. Uh, what I'm going to be talking about uh, in the next two podcasts and we've started talking about here is what I call a technology of relationships. A relationship is something that requires us to know how to manage it, how to nurture it, how to avoid problems with it. And there's a technology that we can learn and it's not all that complicated. It just takes effort and it takes awareness. It takes us realizing that relationships are the water that we swim in, just like the fish is swimming in its water. And we need to make sure that they're healthy so that they don't become toxic because if our relationships become toxic, as these studies that I pointed out earlier clearly indicate, if our relationships become toxic or dysfunctional, it affects our physical health, our emotional health, psychological health, and everything else, particularly important in family business, because in a family business, everything is at stake. We have this kind of economic interdependence upon each other in a family business that makes the stakes even higher. So the relationships really have to become a focus of uh, what we're paying attention to in our family businesses. And it's critical that the family business not just understand the technology of making something or providing a service, but the technology of managing the relationships of the family members who are critical to that business's success. We're going to be talking more about that, and I'm looking forward to that. Well, thank you very much for all your sharing today. This is very meaningful to all of us. So thank you very much, and we'll look forward to the next episode. Absolutely. We've been visiting with family business and relationship management expert and psychologist, Dr. Ed Hoover about how significant relationships shape and define us. The first in a three-part series about relationships. Next up, we'll discuss the two pillars of strong relationships. Thank you for joining in Discovery with Babbitt Ranches, a monthly podcast exploring all things cowboy essence and land stewardship, conservation, science, agriculture, recreation, business, and community. I'd sure like to thank our supporter, Babbitt's Backcountry Outfitters. Through our efforts of learning and understanding, Babbitt Ranches, a family business and pioneering land company, raises livestock, manages natural resources, promotes science, and participates in the broader community in order to join, share, and to do the very best we know how. Thank you. I'm Billy Cardasco.